This is the Real Estate Foundation, your show for massive action with proven results. Raise your life and your legacy with real estate. We are here again. Super excited to have Dave Van Horn with us. Hey, Dave, how you doing? I'm doing incredible. Awesome. And so we got, we got Dave, and there's, there's just so much we can unwrap here. So I'm just going to dive in and just give you a little overview where we are. Dave has served as president and CEO of PPR Note Company, a holding company that manages several funds that buy, sell, and hold residential mortgages nationwide. Dave's expertise is derived from over 30 years of residential and commercial real estate experience as a licensed realtor, real estate investor, and fundraiser. And the latter, Dave has raised over $100 million. Yes, that's $100 million for both notes and commercial real estate. Dave also owns a considerable portfolio of residential investment properties as well as various commercial holdings. So, Dave, we were, we were just talking about focus, and like this, this is quite a bio here. And I, I, would, I would account that you can't get here without really honing in where you want to be and what you want to do. So... To start, did you start in the beginning, notes, residential? Where, where did it all start? Unwrap us here. I started with a lack of focus. There you go. Um, I was actually a contractor and a realtor in the beginning, a very early age, and then um, you know, started acquiring properties. And it was residential mostly and then small multis. And then I, was, um, I ran an investment group. In the beginning, I was a loaner. I did everything myself. Mm. So I think a lot of it was focus, you know, just listen to your podcast on focus. And I, I had a lack of focus in the first, uh, I call it the football game of life from 25 to 65. And I guess from 25 to 45, I lacked focus. And as I got older, I honed in on more focus. So when you read my bio, it's like a bio of a lack of focus. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what I what I realize is that the sooner you know yourself and know what you're good at and, and know what you, sh- you know, obviously focus on. And then you can really exponentially, you know, catapult things and 10x them and the, the Grant Cardone model, right? Yeah. But it's hard to do that when you're starting out and you're young. You don't know what you want to do yet. You don't know. You, you go to college. I got out of college. I couldn't get a job, right? Mm-hmm. So, and how many of us are doing what we went to school for? And probably a small percentage exactly. end up doing that. So you end up, you know, trying. it's trial and error, right? You're going out and you're trying this and you're trying that and you're trying this and trying that. And I was a contractor for a while, and um, I had gotten hurt, uh, but I still, my oldest son still does that business, 28 years, uh, painting yeah. contractor, so I was that in the beginning, and um, I think that was the first time I was introduced to multifamily. I know I'm, you know, obviously on a multifamily uh, conversation, and you don't realize what you learn when you're younger sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was working for uh, owners of small multis where, uh, you know, my friend's father had 50-something units, and then I did... I did contracting work for up to 600 units, right? So mm-hmm. you, you quickly see the differences in how they run these places, even though I'm on the outside looking in as the contractor or as the subcontractor, and you can see the, if the efficiencies. And then being a realtor, I you know started in real estate uh, at age 26, bought my first property at 29. This is like oh, in wow. 1989, right? So, so uh, but you learned a lot about finance and you yeah. saw, you know, I remember buying my first six unit building and I realized all the extra, I don't say aggravation, all the extra uh, things that were different about it than one to four family residential, right? Mm-hmm. And then you see the gap between four units and say 75, 100 units where the financing shifts, right? You don't have to personally sign, the loans may not recast the same way, or you know, there's big differences there with scale. And then 
the beauty of the scale is on-site management, on-site maintenance, and things like that, that you can uh, get an economy of scale going. So in later years, uh, in the beginning I was a loner, and then later I started networking, and I actually started my own networking group, and as my group grew, it actually grew to five states, six cities from Baltimore to New York, and I had 8,000 people in my database. Look at that. Well, people would come to my you know, meetings and say, hey, I want to pitch my you know, multifamily deal or, or whatever, and that's kind of what started for me. I was just getting ready to do large multifamily, and a guy came and said, will you do mobile home parks? And uh, we did. We started raising capital from mobile home parks, storage centers for a company in New Jersey, and we raised, uh, we, we bought like 32 million, we raised about 8 million. Um, this is years ago, I, I've been syndicating over 20 years and that experience of putting investors on a limo bus in Grand Rapids, Michigan and riding around mobile home parks, it, that's an experience, trust me. I'm sure it is. But you get to, um, you get to, you know, I learned to raise capital, raising it for someone else, which was a good experience for what I later ended up doing and focusing on today, which is obviously a different business. But one of the things is I'm good at what I do in the note business, but I also invest in multifamily for tax advantages, things like that. And, uh, you know, I'm partners in, in uh, syndications in Dallas and Phoenix and, and things that um, I wouldn't normally do. And then I also look to sponsor some stuff as well for some key people that I'm really good friends with that have been doing multifamily long periods of time. So sometimes I assist them in fundraising and, and strategy and all that. So. You, you know, and I, I feel real estate it, it, it's so vast and it, it serves two purposes right there's never a direct path path where everybody takes where everybody's going to just continue on this road like this if you just do this path you're going to be perfectly spot on but there's there's this fine line of people who just lose their focus never really diving in and never really committing and so they don't actually get started to people like yourself who just find the opportunity and find the next step towards the process was there was there a moment throughout the process where you said hmm i'm missing team and I well, need to that yes. In. So what I quickly learned, especially with the company in New Jersey, with, with the mo uh, mobile home parks and storage centers, and you might say, why did you pick mobile home parks? They're not really sexy to talk about at the country club or anything. Yeah. <laughs> but the there were tax advantages that appealed to me, um, largely because you could you didn't have a lot of infrastructure. Uh, it was all infrastructure. You didn't have a lot of uh, maintenance. You didn't have a lot of turnover. Um, things like that. And then we, we did a lot of creative things to, to jack uh, lot rent, basically, yeah. to go back and refi and things like that. But there was a lot of owner financing that intrigued me. And that later on was like, um, it helped me in the note business because there's a lot of owner financing. There's a lot of creative financing. There's a lot of creative loan modifications. Well, all that came from commercial real estate negotiation. Um, you know, I, I remember the commercial broker that we worked with. All he did was marinas, mobile home parks, and storage centers. That guy was amazing. He was probably the best negotiator I've ever met. Um, and he would sell the same multifamilies back and forth to people, people. <laughs> in, in two states. I'd never seen anything like it. And he would get huge commissions, and he would get ownership of all these multi multi family deals because he's the commercial broker who he drove about 300,000 miles a year right so yeah. just watching that guy in action but you quickly learn that it was a team sport there's sure. no question about it what's right? some of the strengths uh in negotiation that you learned from watching him uh just the creativity uh one one it, this is this is gonna sound a little bizarre we were actually looking at mobile home parks and we were driving around looking at ones and we were going to close on one and and it was a snowstorm and he, and i'll never forget he's like you guys wait here in the parking lot 
And he goes into this hotel and he goes, I'm going to get us a bunch of rooms. And he like negotiated the craziest hotel deal I've ever seen. We had food vouchers, drink vouchers. Our rooms were half price. We got free rooms. And he goes, if you got, he goes, let me talk to the, the person at the counter. Then he's like, let me talk to the manager. And then he's like, I'm going to go to the hotel down the street. And then it's like this. I'm like, I never seen anybody negotiate like that. It was almost like watching uh, somebody negotiate at, a, at an appliance store or something. Just, <laughs> it was just like, and the guy was just incredible all the way around like that. He would just do it as a game almost. Yeah, you know? that's what it comes about, right? And, yeah. and I think the negotiation process comes that, that people are so fear to, fearful to ask, but what's, what's the worst they say is no. And that usually starts in the conversation. So we were actually just getting a Christmas tree the other day, and I saw this guy come up, and he started negotiating, like, hey, if I carry the tree out and put it on my own car and put it at this point, <laughs> and I'm like, you know, I would have never thought this, and he ends up getting, like, like a discount on the tree. And I'm like, you know, you going that far right, you want to go that route. I'm not going that far. Right. But on that fact, I was like, there's always that person that, that has that skill that likes to use it and plays the game. But it, right, it, it just gives you that opportunity to, to, to make deals work where people, if, they're, if, they're just, if all they have is this one box to, to go in there and negotiate a deal, and they say, here's my price and this is it, and right. they can't look at it from outside, well, that's where they're closed off, and that's why maybe there's a lot of people who are just say, I can't find a deal. Well, it's funny. If you asked me today, would I do mobile home parks or multifamily, I would actually lean to multifamily. So there's, and here's why. So there's the advantages, the disadvantage. Mm -hmm. So if, with mobile homes, there's a ton of owner financing. You have to be able to have a lot of capital. And that's why it's so creative because you would go in and find the hot buttons of the seller and you mm -hmm. knew they had a limited audience because they couldn't really get a lot of bank financing. You know, there's not a lot, Clayton Homes or somebody, but there's not a lot of that and it's strict. And so it's, there's a second mortgage, for example, in like every deal. There's mm -hmm. multiple layers of financing. Uh, we were involved in taking over a subject two deal from uh, GMAC and then subordinate financing, all this creative stuff. And you really had to get creative to get some of those uh, larger deals done. And then it's how much capital can you raise and all that stuff. So there was you're always under the gun a little bit. Uh, the funny part is for the note business, that prepped me for that. Because in the note business, I got to fund in two to two days to two weeks sometimes, 30 huh. days at most. Multifamily, you might have 60 to 90 days. Sure. That's like all the time in the world to me yeah. now, you know, like, but back then that actually prepped me to, and today we have capital call list and I learned capital call list from my multifamily days because a lot of guys, I, I watched the multifamily folks struggle raising capital sometimes, but they don't think about having the money list is more important than your buyer's list or whatever. And it's because you want this money list that you can go to. So my theory is raise capital all the time, whether you have a deal or not, and basically build your list. And then as you need capital, you draw down on that list. Or you could even get some subscribers into your placement and even pay a money market rate or something to keep people basically in the game till you find your next project or whatever. You know? See, and it's like thinking outside the box that yeah. way that, that keeps you in the game. And, and there, there's that common thrown thing around that if you find a good deal, the money will come. Well, sure, okay, did you find a good deal? Yes, possibly, but do you have the time to find the money? And that's right. usually where, where you get stuck. And I don't, I don't like being in a position where I have to come and like, I need your money. That's never a good approach as, no. as a person like for the investor. That's why raising money all the time and just talking about opportunities. Then you go in there and you, you can do a raise in a day or two because you've already done the homework. And it, it, it's more that we're seeing syndication, multifamily really just blow up out there. You're, you're seeing a lot of people strain because they, they go into this raise approach, just, just having this need and not really looking at the investor focus. It's first. desperation. It is. It is. So uh, I'll give you some uh, some examples over the years. 
one time in, when we were doing um, uh, mobile homes, it, it, the interesting thing, we were doing a, a social component too. They were actually building a, a school and a church and, and, it, and they were using the proceeds from the uh, mobile home developments, which, which is like impactful investing, which is kind of the thing I like to do today as well. Sure. But one of the things was we had a high minimum. It was like $250,000 minimum. And then investors had to do all this creative stuff. They'd form an entity to get the 250 to come in and all, it, it just it. created complexity. Uh, and then what I learned over the years was, well, how do I cater to the investor? It's not about what I need, right? So maybe I lower my minimums or, uh, here's what's funny, today I cap investors at a million dollars per EIN number. And people go, oh. well, why would you do that? Well, I'm doing it for a couple of reasons. I don't want a family office to control my syndication. Sure. I also don't want someone to invest too much money with me. It's not in their best interest, yeah. right? Maybe they should look at some other, uh, as, you know, other alternative investments as well. And today I even run an alternative investment group for, to add value to my investor base, right? So, so today I have well, you know, well over a thousand accredited investors in my network and how can I add value to them? How can I have events for them? How can I, uh, bring in advisors for them. How do I, um, and then it's like an invite only type group that I run. I've been, I guess I've been running that about five years. And the beauty of that is, um, we're all in the same boat. I'm an investor as well. Like here's an example. I can't buy notes from my own company from corporate governance. I don't do side letters. I can't invest my retirement account in my own company. So I need investments like yours, J Jason, right. like to go, Hey, I need your multifamily deal or I need these other deals. Plus, my investor base has tax advantage or short term, mid term, long term mm -hmm. investments, right? Like your investment is longer term with tax advantages. Correct. But there might be a hard money fund that's shorter term. My no funds are from 60 days and they're liquid all the way out to three years. Well, your investor might go, hey, I got plenty of money in multifamily. I'd like a little bit, put some money in something more liquid. Mm -hmm. In fact, we'll get multifamily investors drop money in my 60-day fund just to double their rate from the bank. Got it. And yeah. can still get their capital to go close on the next deal, right? Interesting. Yep. But I'm in a business where I can sell a note in 15 minutes. You can't sell a multifamily Correct. project in 15 minutes, Correct. right? So so there's, there's synergies there, and our investors like a little bit of all that. They yeah, like sure. diversification, they like liquidity, they like long-term stuff. My funds compound, right? Mm -hmm. So, and multifamily investors can do that as well. If they use software like IMS, you, it gives you the ability to compound returns for your investors, right? So you can do all kinds of things to add value to that audience just beyond the fact that, hey, I need money yeah. <laughs> to close on this deal. And, right? and it's, but it's so important too, because ultimately, you don't know how you can help your investor until you ask the question. And most people just think that if they have an attractive project, that's why the person wants to jump in. Oh, I have this project. It's got these great returns. You know, it's got you know a stellar pool or whatever. Whatever is the sell, right? And but in that fact, if maybe they want diversification, maybe maybe they want you know asset protection, maybe they want um, you know tax advantages, but you know, maybe they just want the cash flow. Maybe they're just they just like you and they just want to put money with you. you we don't know, but we, we miss asking that. Well, there's some of that. Yeah, yeah. Some you of you that. need to like and trust, and you got to have your investors feel comfortable and confident, or they're Correct. not coming in, right? Correct. Yeah, and but. It, where, I think the direction I was going is that it, without asking that question, that's why it's, it's important to do that before you have the deal. You don't mm -hmm. know how you can really help them because you really, you really don't know what they're lacking or what they're looking for. And for you to say, listen, I don't want you to put more than a million dollars in, but this is why. You know, that, that may be if you were a syndicator who's got three weeks to close and needs $3 million, you, you don't have that ability to say, oh, I'm just going to cap you. I'm going to take what I can get because i got to close this deal. Yeah.
it's funny you say I'm, I'm going to go down a little bit different path here but love it but it might not it may have been covered it may not be so one of the things we did probably four or five years ago we looked at where do our high net worth investors come from right and we backtracked how do we meet them where do they come from and then mm -hmm. what we figured out was i mean we spent a lot of time doing this digging really deep and what we really found out we had about a dozen funnels and we realized, we started looking at the metrics, and we go, yeah, but our investors are really coming from three of the 12 funnels. Interesting. And we call that the visible edge. So you do all this marketing, and your, your client, potential clients come to the visible edge, we call it, hmm. and some bounce off and never invest with you. We're always curious to say, I wonder how many that is. I wonder how many come to the website and bounce yeah. off, you know, do some Google Analytics or whatever. And then how many come to the website, and what do they do on the website? Because a lot of our clients come to, through a website or phone, and then a lot of them come through places like Bigger Pockets or podcasts and Got things it. like that. So we realize that, and they act as touches, and it makes them feel comfortable and confident. But then what we quickly realize is we have three levels of service. We have somebody that just needs more information, or they're looking for a transaction. You know, they're coming to me to buy a note or something. And then I have somebody that is more relational. They want to do more with me, uh, or maybe they just need education. Maybe that's all they need, right? So. And then I might have somebody that is totally invested. They're coming into my fund. They might buy notes too. They drink the Kool-Aid. They say mm -hmm. Dave's a good guy. They spread the word. They tell everyone. They send us referrals. Well, that's my ideal client, right? Sure. So obviously it's like, how do I get more ideal clients? How do yeah. I pull people? I hate to say pull them through the funnel, but mm -hmm. that's kind of what it is, right? And it's like, well, how can I give the right level of service to the right client, like not spend too much time? Like in the old days, the phone would ring and I'd pick up the phone and it'd be, hey, what is a note? Well, that could take two hours. So, yeah, but you're and in I'd, there for three hours. It's not you a quality call. Exactly. Or I could yep. get another call. I'm like, I'm, I'm calling to give you a hundred grand. And yep. well, I want to take that live call, right? Mm -hmm. Well, today you could set up your phone system or your website to handle that in a polite way, but differently, right? And you might... This person might go off and get a webinar and more information. This person, you have money to invest today in the current offering. Wow, you got a live person, right? So you can see what I mean. Yeah. Well, in the old days, we didn't do that, right? So we set up these different, basically, levels of service to give good service to the right client at the right time and the right amount that was good for them and good for us. And then, you know, I used to spend believe it or not, about 80% of my time with trying to get new business, all these yahoos and all this stuff. And I'm like, no, let me flip flop that. You know, I took some Jeffrey Gittimer, you know, sales stuff. And sure. I was like, no, spend 80% of your budget on the people that are your, you know, cheerleaders, so to speak. And hey, let me spend it on my elite group and, uh, you know, flip flop that. And, yeah. and it's worked really well. And then now I, how do I add more value to them? So today we'll throw what's cool about doing events for your high net worth or q a's or mm -hmm. shooting videos of that because my audience is national it's not local uh but the beauty of that is it's community and sure. and the it's really neat when you can uh offer other things to them to help them build their wealth just like i'm trying to build my wealth yeah. i need to look for other investments right i need tax advantages and things like that i need real estate investments i'm a passive guy at my age today more so than I am super active, but I'm very active in my one business, make do very well, but I'm always looking for other alternatives, other types of things. So we all have the same needs. Mm -hmm. And if you can find a way to provide value to that group, you know, it'll come to you exponentially because 
you know, like I don't worry about people that come to my group going, well, what if somebody else is right? Yeah, I want to help elevate their business too. I want to help elevate your business, you sure. know? So it, it, it's a great way to look at it differently, like an abundance mindset instead yeah. of scarcity. And, and, you know, there's plenty of investment dollars out there. How do we share in that and, you know, create that synergy that benefits everybody? Um, it's a better approach, I think, than a lot of people are like, I need money for my sure. deal. And it's like a zero sum game mentality, you know, where people it, it, that's that's to the point where today's social media experience kind of warns that where everybody's just on to the next so quickly. But if you can create that tribe and create that just manifest that energy where, where people feel that you're there to look out for them. Right. And sometimes that comes with you telling them guidance that that's outside of what you're doing. And that's very important because they they, they then understand that you're not just solely seeking your need right it's right. nothing to do about you you're helping guide them you're helping guide them in there so and i i like to use this thing there's this uh, book called story brand is that we all want to think of us as luke skywalker but honestly we're yoda <laughs> yeah. and, and we're yoda guiding guiding yeah, luke right. on that galaxy because all the investors are, are luke and luke skywalker because they're the ones who are the heroes because they're the ones out there in their in their, in their own persona you know, I'm not Luke Skywalker, and if I if I come to the table and say, "Hey, I'm Luke Skywalker with this super deal," you know, they're gonna shut their ears off because it gets back to their human nature of, uh, you know, it's not helping me eat, sleep, or live. So, so ideally, I don't know what you need here. But if I'm Yoda, I can help you along that approach. <laughs> right. You know, and so you mentioned one thing that you you, you started focusing on where all your good energy is, right? With, with the investors who, who are dialed in, you're not spending the two hours explaining a note where you really don't, you don't go on that path. You, you had three funnels that really stood out to you that, that were your core, core competency, I guess, when you, you did your data set right there. What, what did you find? What, what, what was the aha moment when you, when you found those three funnels? Where, where were they? Well, f um, well the, the biggest thing for me is I'm only good at one thing. Yeah, okay. And it took me a while to figure that out. And then what I, I'm, I'm good at raising capital. You That's my number one thing, no matter what it's for. Um, so if you want to make me do process, yeah. I'm the last guy in the world, mm -hmm. right? So it's just like, and I'm a visionary. I'm more of a CEO than a COO. But it took me a long time to figure that out because I tried to do everything and all that. But And, and it's similar with... Uh, Guilty. Guilty. The, yeah. I, I think the other thing with the funnel thing is I figured out the value of the transparency too. Like transparency is a big thing. So if you can lift your kimono, show more of your projects, show more of like, you know, I invite you into my company and you can see everything. Oh, open yeah. your doors to your business somehow. Uh, I think that's powerful too. Just like we were doing with flying investors to a limo to show them around to, you know, whether it's apartment complexes or whatever, sure. it doesn't, same thing, right? Yep. So it's that transparency. It's the accounting transparency. It's the reporting, staying in touch. The communication's a big piece. I think that goes a long way, but just opening your doors and inviting people in. Some, many a times I've had an investor say, um, can I meet other investors in, that are involved in your opportunity already? Because I guess, I don't know, people like the herd effect or they want to know other sure. people have had success with you. Yeah. So it's, um, but by doing some events or Q&A, you can invite other investors. Look, I can't give out names and numbers. We're a private offering, but mm -hmm. I can you know, invite you to an event I host a couple times a year and you can meet plenty of our investors there, you know, so it right. opens up the, you know, it just it. Re takes down, the, it relaxes everybody. Yes. We, yeah. and, and maybe they'll come in and see your office or go visit a complex or whatever that is sure. and then go to one of your events that evening and then fly back to Aspen or wherever they're from. Right. Yeah. So I think that type of approach is, is phenomenal 
to solve both, right? Like how do I solve their needs and my needs? And have you surveyed your clients? Mm-hmm. We, we're big on that. Right now, like, uh, I, probably, I gotta watch how I say this, but nobody likes to survey. Me especially, like, mm-hmm. you know, do you want to do a survey from the cable company? No, it's like no, that same yeah. guy. I just got down so, the phone yesterday. Good uh, one if you want to like, do a no, survey. It's, it's, like, oh, it's so on, annoying, man. right? But what I do is I like to survey my clients without them knowing I'm surveying them. So mm-hmm. I'll bury questions along the paths of things, whether there's a, an application process or something like that. There might be one question or two questions sure. that are really pulling in a survey for us of what are our clients, how do we serve them best? You know, what do they really need? What, what, who is my ideal client? What are they really looking for? What is their, you know, what kind of investor are you? That's a perfect example. Are you passive? Are you active? Are you high net worth? Are you a high income earner? Because I quickly learned that not all accredited investors are created equal. Some are sure. entrepreneurial, they sold a business, they, and then other people are high income earning, you know, engineer or something. Well, they have completely different needs than somebody who just sold a business that was an entrepreneur, right? They're night and day. Uh, folks. So if you don't know that and you don't know who your ideal client is for mm-hmm. your base, then sometimes we're swimming in the wrong pond and we're trying to swim upstream and we're like, why is this so such a struggle? And I think there's short, not shortcuts, um, uh, in, uh, investor hacks, maybe. Yeah. I don't know what you would call that, but there, there's easier ways to do things when you when you do that process of what I was describing, figuring out your visible edge, figuring out where your clients come from, where they bounce off, how do you serve their needs, how do you add more value to your ideal client. I call it the shared values approach because your ideal client should have the same values you do, the same yeah, core values, that kind of thing. You know, I agree. And if there's an investor who has the serve first mentality in mind, has that all set up, yeah. and you're saying, I'm just, I'm just on the outside starting. And looking at what you've done, you've created this this huge database, which which just seems absolutely staggering to them. If you were to talk to them, or even yourself when you're first starting out, these are these are the, a few steps you should take today to start building building your framework. What would you suggest? You know, it's funny when I first started raising capital. It, you know, well, I didn't have any capital, right? I had an MLS system, and I was a contractor. So, oh. but I didn't have any capital, right? Yeah. I, I started buying houses with credit cards, literally. So, you know, you you need you need all three pieces, right? You need capital, you need supplier product, and then you need a way to scale, right? How many mm-hmm. could you handle if they were free? If the if the multifamily complexes were yeah. free, how many could you manage, right? Yeah. So, it's those kinds of questions. But you, in the beginning. Um, you know, it's hard to like, how did I scale it up? It, at first it was, who did I know, right? And I've spent family, all that. And then it became to, I tapped out my network. So Jason, I'm going to hit your network, right? Yeah. You have a 30 year network or 20 year network of people, you know, I'm going to bring my, uh, you know, opportunity to your network and we like and trust each other. And that's another way to expand. But mm-hmm. the best expansion is when it's not who, you know, it's who knows you. And for me, that was probably after like things like bigger pockets and podcasts, sure. because now I don't know most of my investors uh, personally. Yeah, they f- may feel like they know me through my writing or my like they feel like they know you through your podcast. So find yeah, a medium that works for you, whether it's you're a writer, I would, you know that kind of thing. And um, getting, we're getting a countdown here to find yeah, the countdown. Yeah, they're giving so me the hook. They're giving me the hook. I told them we're going but, uh, 97 minutes. They said, but, okay. <laughs> but so. the. But the good news is, you know, find a medium that works for you, you know, could, whether it's, you know, video, audio, whatever that is. Um, and then, you know, that all of a sudden people know who you are and then they realize, hey, you're a stand up guy and you're very transparent and you're successful and you have good projects and you have a good team. 
And I remember even, even in uh, mobile home parks when we first started out, we had never done them before. Yeah. But we brought in experts. We brought in the, you know, the, um, I talked about the realtor that that's all he did was mobile home parks. We also brought in an attorney. That's all he did was mobile home parks. We brought in this other developer. All he did was develop mobile home parks and he owned mobile home parks, right? So we had all this, these people on our team and our board, even though we didn't, we really had no clue what we were doing. Not no clue, but you know, um, you were on the outside, but you brought, people we were on the outside. Now I had you. been a property manager as well. So I knew some of that. And so you brought in different skill sets from the team and then you figured out what didn't we have. And then you filled in the gaps and you try to build it, you know, some A players in there. How do, how do you continue to just, or what would be one thing that stands out in your mind? If you're looking at your entire career, why so many people drop out and can't, can't create a career that they're missing or they're lacking. Well, I think sometimes they look at, they give up e too easy sometimes. Sure. Um, and, and then I think they don't look at it. They'll look at things as a failure. And me, I mm -hmm. kind of look at things as like a learning experience. So it's important. just, it's just like a, a way to the next, you know, Hey, you're, you, I can list probably a handful of things that really didn't work for my company this mm -hmm. year, but guess what? We're not doing them. We're doing something else. It, it was a learning experience. Right. It wasn't a failure, right? right. You look like, at it like, yeah. Hey, uh, you know, I may have lost. Ten thousand dollars, you know, twenty years. Oh, old, I've lost but, more than that. Yeah, but just saying that fact, but that saved you yeah, from losing yeah. a million today because you know you know something that's a much bigger, higher stakes thing that you're ahead of, right? So it's, yeah. it's that lesson learned where people said, "I lost ten thousand dollars. I'm out of this." I wish it was ten thousand dollars and my biggest loss, but sure. I mean, but but I've had some really big gains, and you can't have really big gains mm -hmm. until you've had big losses. I love it. Yeah. You know, I've had quarter million dollar losses, mm -hmm. right? But I'm also building a billion-dollar company. Yeah. Well, you can't get to a billion dollars if you didn't lose a quarter million somewhere. Someone's it's just not going to happen. No, yeah. it's not. Yeah. And and if you're looking at that capacity to do a million dollar, a billion dollars, get a billion-dollar company right there. What is that next step? Where where are you going now that's going to allow you to do that? Where are you? Um, it, it's the A, a players. It's it, it. It took me a while to figure this out too. That human capital is just as important or more important mm -hmm. than capital capital. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really until you really get the eight players on the eight team, mm -hmm. um, you're not going to be able to move it. You know, you're not going to be able to move the needle enough because it takes those key people that have the skill sets that you don't. And even my business now, I'm entering my 13th year, the business has outgrown me and the founders. Yeah. The skill sets required are much deeper than we have. We have to bring it in from outside. Yeah. Well, Dave, I super appreciate your time. For everybody yeah. who wants to connect more about you, uh, learn more about you, connect more, learn about your company, your funds, what's the best way to connect? Uh, best on our website, uh, pprnoco.com, and uh, always on Bigger Pockets, LinkedIn. Yeah. We have a distressed mortgages group. Uh, answer questions all the time for folks. Awesome. Yeah. Any yeah, love it. Uh, alternative investment meetup they'll find out, they'll find there too? Um, I have a group called Strategic Investor Alliance. Uh, you can go to that website. It is normally an invite-only type group, okay, but uh, sure. more than happy to, if you're accredited and you're interested, you yeah. can reach out to us. Awesome. Yeah. Dave, thank you yeah. so much for being on the show. Yeah. Appreciate present. your time. Great. Awesome. Thank you. We're Thanks. shake hands in person. I love yeah. the in-person part right here. All right. This is Jason with the Multifamily Foundation Podcast. Thanks so much for checking us out at PodMax today and be back shortly. Bye now. Awesome, man.